At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is The Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. What's up, folks? Welcome into a Friday edition of The Edge. we got a good one on tap today. Aaron Moore, Pointsford Weekly contributor, is going to be with us. Take a look a little bit at the weekend that will be in college hoops, but some big picture stuff, uh, including some futures. Going to throw Texas Tech at them, team that I've got a 40 to 1 win the NCAA title, who continues to impress night in and night out. Uh, also, other things in the world of college basketball. And then, of course, Lou for the Carl Gamble will join us as we have a pretty intriguing fight night card this weekend. We'll also take a quick look ahead to next weekend where Colby Covington is on the verge, I would say, uh, of beating the snot out of Jorge Masvidal. So I'll let you guess where I stand on that fight, but we'll get a quick early preview of that with Lou Finnecaro coming up in 30 minutes from now. But we begin with a little bit about last night in the NBA. So the association returns last night, a good slate of games, a lot of good competition yesterday, but there was nowhere else to begin but in the Windy City with the Chicago Bulls, who get a win, 112-108 to over the Atlanta Hawks. Side note, the Hawks' 10th in the Eastern Conference continue to slide here. Uh, but the Bulls end up winning and covering. Remember, the line actually opened a four, close three. So grabbing those fours early got you the push, but ultimately it is the Chicago Bulls who win and prevail and cover as a three-point favorite there. Game goes well under the total. Uh, that closed at 240 after opening up 237.5. But who cares about the game as a whole? It's about what happened in the fourth quarter, and it's about one guy right now. It is DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan last night, according to ESPN's Stats and Info, became the seventh player in NBA history with eight straight 35-point games. He joined Will Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, James Harden to achieve that feat. Yesterday, for those who did not see his final stat line, 37 points, 15-21 from the floor. He was 2-3 or three from three-point range. He had six rebounds and three assists. DeMar DeRozan continues to operate at a high level, clearly, for the Chicago Bulls. And this is where I am going to do this right now. I I have this platform, so this is where it is. DeMar DeRozan, at the very least, is the third candidate to win the MVP. And it's not just in the conversation, as Mitch Moss put it on Twitter yesterday, and I so eloquently responded, F the conversation. He should be one of the favorites. Mitch just tweeted out about 58 minutes ago, and I agree with this. If DeMar DeRozan's name was LeBron James, if DeMar DeRozan's name was Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he would be the odds-on favorite to win the MVP award right now. DeMar DeRozan, in clutch minutes, when games are, you know, less than five minutes with a five-point margin either way for a team, 
leads all MVP candidates that you see on that list right there in terms of plus minus with plus 58. Outside of Devin Booker, who's 22 to 1. In clutch minutes this season, he has shot 55.6% from the floor. He is shooting 66% from three. If you look at his minutes and numbers overall in the fourth quarter, he operates at an extremely high level. DeMar DeRozan does in terms of his ability to score. He leads the league in fourth quarter scoring with 455 total points, shooting 56, 42, and 86. That would be from the floor three-point range and from the free throw line. In the clutch, 56, 67, and 89%. He is missing his two best perimeter defenders in Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. Zach Levine was back in the lineup yesterday, but has been in and out since before the All-Star break. DeMar DeRozan's a legitimate MVP candidate. He's got a better resume than Steph Curry. His team is in contention right now for the first overall seed in his respective conference. And I'm sorry, but Giannis Antetokounmpo missed a total of two games in January in which the Bucs went 7-8, and eight, had a plus 1.1 net rating. He didn't give a rip about any of the games because they already won a championship. DeMar DeRozan deserves to be legitimately considered. Not the conversation, not, hey, gets a couple of fifth-place votes. If you're voting for the award, you should be seriously looking at the resumes of Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and DeMar DeRozan and splitting hairs and trying to find reasons to vote for or against any of those three guys. If any of those three win it, then I'm perfectly fine with it. But just because he's on a, like, I don't know, like, because he's on the Chicago Bulls, whatever you want to make the case, it does, there is no real case. I don't care about VORP. I don't care about real plus minus win shares, whatever it is, because some of the advanced metrics don't really like DeMar DeRozan. He leads the league by a mile in win probability added, ahead of Nikola Jokic, who is a statistical wonderkin for his team at this point right now. So stop with the arguments of like, trying to poke holes into the resume here. He is legitimately, at this point, a top three candidate to win the most valuable player. And to me, again, if you have a vote, you should be trying very hard to find reasons for him and Bede or Jokic to win it. That's it. Wanted to say my piece. Hopefully I made a lot of good points there. But DeMar DeRozan has been incredible, and he deserves, to be cre- he, he deserves credit for it. And he deserves to have odds that are shorter than Giannis Antetokounmpo right now. With that, let's take a look at some basketball later today. It was super serious. I feel like that was like... Come on, let's go. Uh, also, I mean, to be fair, a lot of that passion came for the fact that I have a 66 to 1 ticket on him to win it. And I know there's a couple of people out there that have like 501 tickets on him, whatever it is. He, he's legitimately, he's, he, he deserves a legitimate shot at this award, man. Legitimate shot. All right, so we got a bunch of games later today. Uh, let's start with the Heat at the Knicks because um, this is one of the more intriguing games, mainly because the Knicks are involved. And we get the report that Kemba Walker is no longer going to be a part of the team. This is the second time we've seen it. Uh, but of course, this is legitimately serious now. It looks like they're going to try to trade him in the offseason. So the rotation gets shortened up here for the New York Knicks. Now, I was making this point earlier today, wrote about it in the column. You can check it out at vcin.com slash JVT. Was on with the guys on Follow the Money earlier today discussing this very fact that at this point, the depth chart would have one Alec Burks penciled in as the point guard for the New York Knicks. Uh, Not something that I would really agree with. Alec Burks, a point guard for the season of the New York Knicks, a negative 3.7 net rating in those minutes in which he plays point for them. I think if you are the Knicks, that this is the time to now steer into the youth movement. It's time to start Emmanuel quickly, a point guard, alongside Quentin Grimes in that backcourt, give Cam Reddish some time, give Obi Toppin some time, and just see what you got with the youth because I think there's some intriguing young pieces there. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen, and this lines up to six now with a total of 211.5, and until we see a change philosophically from the New York Knicks, 
Can't disagree. This is the healthiest the Miami Heat have been all season long. The only two guys that are on the injury report right now are Victor Oladipo and Markeith Morris. So you're going to get your entire starting five out there. You're going to get Tyler Hero coming off of the bench. When they have their starting five out there, the Miami Heat, how about some of these numbers for their their starting five of Kyle Lowry, uh, Cam Reddish, or Cam Reddish, excuse me, Kyle Lowry, uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, PJ Tucker. Uh, we know the crew. Duncan Robinson. They outscore opponents by 17.2 points per 100 possessions. Um, defensive rating in 91.9. So. Won't fault anybody who wanted to get in there late five, five and a half with the Miami Heat earlier today. Makes a lot of sense. In some of those defensive numbers, it would make sense why this total has dropped. I had no dog in this fight, but would understand. And I think, to me, when we go forward with the Knicks, if they're going to steer into the youth movement, I kind of think they're like a semi-bet-on team just because I like the young pieces that they have. And some of the statistics bear that out, like their positives on the floor. But we'll see if they're actually going to make that decision. So from there, let's go to the big one, though. Uh, and I want to go to Philadelphia and Minnesota and make sure we give this one some time because James Harden is going to make his debut tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers. Timberwolves, second leg of a back-to-back to get a big win over the Memphis Grizzlies late last night. So... When you look at Philadelphia, I was actually somewhat surprised. This opened up two, got straight up to three. There's been some buybacks, so two and a half is a dominant number now. A total hasn't really budged off the opener, 229. So it's 225 or 229 and a half, 229, depending on where you shop for your number. But for me, the, the question about the Philadelphia 76ers is what they do defensively. We've talked about it before on this network. I'll reiterate for those who don't uh, remember or know, James Harden likes to switch everything defensively. It's where he is most comfortable. Joel Embiid is more of a drop-covered center who doesn't want to switch out onto the perimeter and guard guys out there. He wants to drop back and handle pick-and-rolls in that situation. Well, James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to be involved in a lot of pick-and-rolls defensively tonight. How do they operate on that? Right? Do they switch one through four and then refuse to switch on the one and five pick-and-roll? Is Harden going to do that? Right in terms of chasing the ball handler around some of these screens, whatever it is, and it ultimately leads me to a pause with laying two and a half, three against what is a legitimate playoff team in the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, last night, the offense operated at a very high level against the Memphis Grizzlies. Market, as you could tell, was a little low on them, right, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, because they closed as about a two, two and a half point underdog, depending on where you shopped right before close yesterday and get the win out right. Minnesota also has something in their pocket that's going to make the 76ers uncomfortable. They like to get out and run. The Philadelphia 76ers are um, well into the bottom half of the league in terms of defensive efficiency and transition. They're not a team that's comfortable in running. They're a very slow-paced team. So I do feel like uh, Minnesota's got some things in their pocket that they can take advantage of here. And they're also just not breaking in a brand-new star duo in James Harden and Joel Embiid. So this one as well didn't have a dog in the fight, but uh, I'm really, really interested to see what Philadelphia looks like defensively because I'm pretty confident that they're going to look pretty incredible on the offensive end of the floor. It's just... Um, What do they look like there? Let's transition to the West Coast because tonight we get a pretty big matchup. And by the way, maybe a play-in preview between these two teams. Because think about this, right? Los Angeles Clippers are the eighth seed. Los Angeles Lakers are the ninth seed. If those two, like if the Clippers lose to the Timberwolves, for example, and the Lakers beat their play-in opponent, we could be talking about a winner-take-all in the battle for Los Angeles uh, coming up later in the season. But regardless, Lakers, two-point favorite with a total of 221.5. I'm in on the Clippers here. This is going to be part of the best bets as we talk about them later. LeBron James on the injury report, Sordney, it does sound like he's going to play, uh, but it's also troubling is a little strong, but it's a little curious, right, when a guy comes off of an all-star break where he's complaining the entire time about the Los Angeles Lakers front office and talking about don't shut the door on Cleveland, and he's on the injury report the first time out with a sore knee. But for me, it comes down to the C word here, consistency. 
The Los Angeles Clippers have been consistent in terms of their effort on a night-to-night basis. If you look at what they did right before the All-Star break, 3-1 straight up, 4-0 against the spread. They did that some against the Western Conference elite teams, right? Dallas, Golden State, covered against Phoenix in a loss as well. Beat the crap out of the Houston Rockets right before the break, too. Uh, I'll get into some more of the numbers and the positives for the Los Angeles Lakers. But very simply put, I think the Clippers would be pretty live here catching two, given what they did defensively and what they've done defensively all year long. Also very elite in terms of their rim protection. But I, the, the Lakers are kind of like the Knicks, where I view them as if they do certain things, they actually kind of might be a bet on team in my mind. Uh, but we got to make sure that we get a full effort from one LeBron James. We'll get to those and some of the other numbers. We'll also get into some of the other numbers and uh, matchups on the card later today because you got some intriguing matchups left on the board in the association. When we come back, though, let's switch gears to college hoops. We'll take a look a little bit on Saturday. We'll let's talk about some big picture stuff with Aaron Moore, points for the weekly contributor on the other side here on The Edge. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Need more college basketball insight? Check out the podcast Coast Coast Hoops. Greg Hoops Peterson will look at every major and some of the minor college basketball games on the upcoming schedule to find betting opportunities. None of them are minor, though. Come on. Greg has an opinion on every single college hoops game of the season. On this podcast, he provides his unique insights, looks for those games that have a solid betting opportunities. Download Coast Coast Hoops now. VEASAN.com slash podcast wherever you get your podcast. While you're there, catch up on every VEASAN show as well. All right. Uh, let's get to a little bit more college hoops. Aaron Moore is nice enough to give us some time today. Points for weekly contributor. Uh, Aaron it is really good to talk to you. We're getting down to the nitty and the gritty conference tournaments uh, just weeks away here. So let's talk about some big picture stuff when it comes to college basketball. Let's talk about some individual players first. So I was interested in your note uh, when we were, uh, when you sent over some of the stuff you wanted to talk about, namely when it comes to uh, the, um, the Wooden Award. So right now, top of the odds board at some shops, this is from DraftKings, Oscar Chiwet, Kentucky, plus 130, Kofi Coburn, plus 550, Johnny Davis, Wisconsin at 6-1. to one. And uh, you feel that because of a poor performance, Coburn, uh, you think, has been knocked out at this point? Well, thanks for having me, JVT. At this point, I wouldn't necessarily say he's knocked out, but it's going to be very, very difficult for him to hurdle over Davis and Shibway, and I think at this point we have three uh, games to go in the season, two weeks in that ballpark. It's very difficult to hop over someone, and I also think it's very difficult at this point from an award standpoint to win an award. You have mm-hmm. to have that 
player in front of you lose the award. So Coburn was average, had 12 points yesterday, five rebounds in that ballpark, but Shibway played a very good game, so he didn't lose it. And I think that's the main knock at this point against Davis and Coburn and anybody else for that matter. So let me ask you, like in terms of the history of this award, how much do late-season pushes uh, help a team out, right? The, the reason why I ask is, so later today, uh, we're going to see Iowa. And Keegan Murray, the last time we saw him, 30 minutes against Michigan State, 10 of 15, 28 points. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic, and he's been on quite the run here. And a big part of the reason why they've won five out of six games, and some big ones at that. Right on the road against Ohio State. Mentioned the home win over Michigan State. What do you make of like late runs here? What has history told us? Could a guy like Murray, who's in the range of six to one, make a push for this thing? And a late push would certainly help. Last year it was Luca Garza, basically another Iowa guy, basically from start to finish. And really, Iowa had a good year, but it didn't. Ha- it really wasn't contingent on him having a good middle of the season, good end of the season. It was a Garza baseline, and it moved forward. And I really think Keegan Murray is that fast, high-moving stock. There's just not enough time left. No. And it's 6-1, to one, and that looks like a good price. He's a fantastic scorer. Iowa is certainly really playing well. If this season was – if you could add two more weeks to the season right now, then I'd be pretty bullish on Keegan Murray. But I just don't think he can do enough, or Iowa for that matter – to get past the guys in the Big Ten and then Shibway once again in the SEC. Yeah, and the same thing you would say for Holmgren too, right? Absolutely. Give me two more weeks, and I really think Holmgren would be the one you would say, geez, we've heard about him. He plays on the number one team. He is a highlight reel. Obviously, he's very unique to watch him play and bring the ball up in that seven-foot frame. There's just not enough time because you've got Gonzaga playing that West Coast Conference schedule. Last night was a big game, got a little bit of national attention. There's just not enough time for him to sway voters everywhere. All right, so before we move to some of these teams and some of these futures, uh, one of the notes you sent over I really liked, and I would really agree with it, uh, comparing betting futures like the Wooden to NBA awards, because some people like to dive into the awards markets in the NBA right away, and, and I find sitting back watching some of these games and finding little spots of value where you Maybe the markets I'm paying attention to, you know, case in point, uh, when I look at it last year, Aaron, I, I hit Julius Randle 22 to one to win most improved because not a lot of the market realized how good Julius Randle's season had been. And he eventually wins the award. I feel like getting more data and watching these players helps you out in the long run and helps you put yourself in a better position with some of these futures. No. To look at moving forward, especially as awards are getting so much more attention are getting attention. There's so many more legalized states that people are now looking and betting these awards that they couldn't otherwise. That I really don't see a reason to jump in at the beginning. And I will use myself as a learning curve here. I loved Patrick Mahomes at the beginning of the year as an MVP last year. He really looked like an MVP. Obviously, that didn't happen. And now we look at Embiid in the NBA, and we have Shibway coming out of nowhere, basically. He was 40-1 to at one time. That I think all betters, if you're interested in futures and you're interested in awards and you like to look at it longitudinally, you can't get in too early. And the, the idea that I like to use is I will be giving you odds for me to have data in return. And I think we see the data right now with Embiid, Shibway, uh, what happened with Aaron Rodgers in the NFL season. 
really hit the brakes when it comes to the favorite in these type of awards futures. That's a good point. Embiid was 50-1, to then he drops 50 points on the Orlando Magic, and all of a sudden the market shifts on its head, and now he is the uh, favorite to win the MVP award at this point. All right, let's talk about some team futures then. Uh, First up, tell us why you think that this is going to be a big week in terms of betting college basketball futures, specifically those who are just dipping their toes in. Yeah, at this point, a lot of people are looking at college basketball. They were focused on the NFL, and maybe they were following it, but they really hadn't got aggressively into it from a future standpoint. You're looking at teams at this point. You have uh, Gonzaga 4-1 to one in that ballpark. That is unplayable. I don't know how anybody at this point could make a 4-1 to one bet on Gonzaga, even though they are the number one team in the country. But then you look at that pack of Kentucky, Auburn, Purdue, Arizona, they're 8-1. to one. There really isn't that much wiggle room left to make a bet now. If you want to make one bet, if you're that type of better that says, I'm going to make one bet, put it away and watch the tournament, fine, you can do that. But a lot of times, you're going to want to make bets during the conference tournament. You're going to want to make bets during the field of 68. You might want to play two or three teams. You really can't do it. Let's say you want to play Kentucky you're pretty much married to that 8-1 to one Kentucky ticket at this point. You really can't add on to it because there go your margins in terms of whoever wins, you're going to have at least one losing team. Mm-hmm. If you got to board this train earlier, then you get those tickets that are 20-1, to 25-1, to 30-1. You get a little bit more flexibility of, as we were talking about, looking at what's happening and say, you know what, I like this team. There's still value there. I'll have another ticket for a national champion. But if it's 8-1, to one, I don't know how you get multiple tickets at this point. So I do think it's time-sensitive. Aaron Moore with us. All right, let's, so then let's talk about the difference between teams that are, you know, the NBA. Like we have regular season teams, and then there are teams who are just kind of biding their time waiting for the postseason. Not that any teams are biding their time necessarily in college basketball, but teams are built better for postseason play, tournament play, as opposed to the regular season grind. So talk about differentiating some of those teams when it comes to you know, tournament time and looking at them to have success. One of the things that I look at if I'm going to power rank my teams and I'm going to make college basketball futures for the tournament, I do want to make that differentiation. Yes, there is the regular season where you're playing your conference opponents, you're playing home and away. There is a familiarity. You're going to have some losses along the way because you're doing home and away. But when it comes to the tournament, to me, the value that I place the most is the teams that can win with different styles. Can you win offensively and defensively? Can you win high-scoring games, low-scoring games? Can you win perimeter games or interior games? So that flexibility within the tournament is so much more important than it is over the long haul of a regular season. And I do think that's important for betters to say, yes, at this point, whatever the rankings are, and and we as betters really don't care too much about the AP rankings. They don't really mean that much to us from a betting standpoint. So you have to look at teams as they're going into the tournament, how that style of play is going to work in a consolidated season and that being the tournament. You know, Aaron, off the top of my head in our last 90 seconds here with you, when you describe a team like that, my mind initially flashes to Villanova, a team that plays at a pretty slow pace, can shoot the ball extremely well in both areas of the floor. We've seen them win high-scoring affairs. We've seen them win grinded-out type affairs as well. Uh, Would that be kind of a safe, not a safe bet, but a team that kind of falls in that range of a team that can do a lot? 
Jay Wright's the type of coach that has that flexibility. This year, though, I'm, I'm a little uh, less on Villanova just because of the way they've had trouble against taller guards. Mm-hmm. That's been one of their problems facing the taller guards that they faced in the Big East. But that type of flexibility that I'm talking about, that's why I like a Kentucky, in Arizona, in Auburn. And as much as I like Gonzaga, they're the number one team, right? You can't dislike them. But I don't think they have the flexibility enough to put them in a power ranking above a Kentucky, in Arizona, or in Auburn. Mike, Pub Relation Prof up on Twitter and all the work, too, here on VSIN and then Pointswood Weekly. Uh, Aaron, it's good to talk to you. I always enjoy your work, and it's always good talking to you, dude. So thank you. Thank you very much, JVT. Good luck to you. Yep, you got it. You too, man. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to bring in Lou Finacaro. Gamblue is going to give us the insight on a pretty uh, interesting fight night card. We'll also get a quick preview of what next week it'll bring in the UFC. Lou's got a irons in almost every single fire. So we're going to talk about that on the other side. And we'll also wrap up, of course, this edition with a couple of best bets, including a contest in the association, which we haven't really touched on yet. But we'll get to every single one of those because, you know, it's Friday and there's no football, which means we got to talk about the hardwood. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome to The Edge here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Jonathan Von Tobel with you. Lou Fittacar is going to join us momentarily, but a reminder for all of you, make sure you take in our bracket betting coverage starting Saturday, Sunday, March 13th. Six hours of free live coverage, full bracket reveal, opening lines for every game. Greg Hoops Peterson is going to get locked in a box, and he's not able to come out until he analyzes every single one of those. Little Birdie told me I have the honor of maybe participating in this day as well, so I can't wait for it either. Check it all out. It is going to be, again, six hours free live coverage starting Sunday. March 13th. All right, let's welcome him in. Lou Finicaro, Gamblu, up on Twitter. A, a man who is uh, of many hats and many shirts, including a pink one that really upset Matt Humans. You know, the other day, Lou, I wore a pink shirt underneath my blazer. Humans didn't say a thing to me. I was kind of disappointed. There's pink stripes on this one, but I wanted to rile Humans up, and he said nothing about my pink shirt the other day. I can't be more disappointed at that. I, I Usually the guy's a steel trap and that would never get by him. Maybe he's slipping a little bit. Now maybe, maybe, but you're not. So let's discuss this uh, UFC fight night coming up tomorrow. But first off, give us the general view because I was reading your write-up. Uh, somewhat chalky start to the calendar year, no? Yes, uh, 68%. Uh, a little bit higher than what traditionally happens in the UFC. Uh, we're used to seeing 64%, 65%. Last year was 69 so it was a little high. It's starting off high again. That said, uh, we're showing a profit so far in our columns in Point Spread Weekly and understanding that chalk's running so strong and we're still showing a little bit of a profit is encouraging. So do you, like, in terms, like, do you just take that as, that's ah, just a blip on the radar, it's a small sample size, or is there something to a trend like this in any way whatsoever? No, I think uh, over the course of 44 cards with 12 to 15 fights per card at the end of the year, we'll be back to 65, 66%. So the next question is, could there be some regression coming in the next few cards? I think perhaps there could. All right. Well, I would assume uh, that the regression is not going to hit in the main event tomorrow. Uh, Islam Makashev has been an absolute animal up to this point, and good for Bobby Green uh, for taking this thing because nobody really wanted it. Uh, Makashev, a $9 
favorite. So for those who don't know who he is, and they should, uh, tell people who he is, Lou, and is there any way to attack this? You know, I was looking at some of these things that are available. You know, you can lay a somewhat short price on him to win inside the distance, to finish by submission. How in any way do you attack such a heavy favorite like this and a dominant favorite who deserves a price tag like it? The way I'm going to attack it, uh, Jonathan, is that I'm going to find my value on other fights in the card. By the time we get to the main event, I read it like many others do. Makachev is a Russian vice grip, the protege of Khabib Nurmagomedov. He wrestles and grapples like Khabib, but he strikes much better. He's longer and taller and much more well-rounded. He's surely on his way to a championship bout. In this fight, I liken this fight exactly to Masvidal and Ben Askren. In that, Bobby Green, two weeks ago, competed with it, and when he competed, he probably fought, he weighed in 55, he probably fought at uh, 78, close to 80, and then 11 days ago was 195. He stepped on the scale at 158 today, 11 days after weighing 195. So no matter what anyone says, his performance is going to be compromised, and he doesn't have 25 minutes. Now, the kid's street strong, mentally strong. He is unafraid because, as you mentioned, all the other candidates ranked higher than him ran as fast as they could. No one wants Makachev. So Bobby Green is winning respect. However, he has very, very little chance in this fight. So how do I bet it? I bet it like this. I think that the only shot Bobby Green has is to run across the ring and kick <laughs> Makachev surprisingly in the head, just like Masvidal did. And so for that reason, my work will be done going into the main event, but I'll have milk money on Bobby Green to finish the fight in round one, plus 2,500, mm-hmm. and Bobby Green to finish the fight in round two, plus 2,500, and see if I can catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. And for those who have not seen him, I would definitely recommend watching Islam Makashev. Uh, I have never been more impressed with the fighter than watching him whenever he takes the ring. All right, uh, let's go to you in your piece that you uh, wrote up in Point Spread Weekly this week. Again, uh, late Phil and Green headline, no match for Makashev and UFC LV 49. Uh, well, weigh-ins were today, and you pointed out in your write-up for Sarukin and now Alvarez, you wanted to see the weigh-ins first. So what did you see today, and does it change your mind or anything in how you were going to approach this bout? No, but it clarifies things. Alvarez, who missed weight the last two times, uh, and he tried to make 155, did in fact make 156 today, so he's good. And the important thing there is that he was forced to actually lose all that weight. He's a big guy, should be fighting at 170, and while he's big, he's a bully. I think while he's physically large, I, I question his mentality to, to miss weight a couple of times and now roll into a high-end fight like this against a guy five inches shorter, going to have a five-inch reach disadvantage. The thing is, is Sarukian has only lost to Makachev in a very, very close decision, and this kid is real. Uh, I believe that Alvarez, now that he made the weight, has five or six minutes of being able to contend with this Armenian vice grip in Sarukian. And if we can get Sarukian into the second round of this fight, I think Alvarez is gonna wane. Sarukian's gonna get stronger. And for that reason, Sarukian, who is a fighter that often goes to to decision, I like him via decision plus 180, 
in a fight where he opened minus 340 and is currently minus 220. I like it. All right. So in that piece in which you wrote about, and this was the analysis for Saruki and Alvarez, but you opened it up with, uh, in 2021, 46 fighters missed weight. Of the 31 who were allowed to compete, only 13 won. I bring that up because the headline of the prelims, uh, Rongju, did miss weight today. So what, what do you make of this matchup now between him and Bahamandes? It shows a lot of Bahamandes who weighed in at 154 and a half and Rangju 160. So when there's over five pounds, it's odd that the fight goes on. They both agreed to it. To me, Rangju is aware that he's going to be led to slaughter in this fight. I think Bahamandes uh, is is long, lean, game, and while Zhu has all the power and that weight cut won't hurt his power. I think there's a reason he missed. He's missed before. He looked dejected that he had missed almost, you know, head down and such. So I don't think his head is there. I think he knows he's on the way out. And I don't know that I give him much chance in this fight. Lufin and Carl with us. All right, before we move on from the card, anything else, uh, main card prelims that we should be aware of? I think the first fight of the card, a kid from Mexico City that came from the Contender Series against a kid that is born in Mexico but now fighting out of Texas. Two Mexican fighters are going to start this thing off, and I think they're going to start it off with pure fireworks. All right. I like it. All right, Lou. Uh, hey, really quickly, because I'm going to get your thoughts on something outside of the MMA world. Uh, but next weekend, awesome fight card. And I cannot wait to see what the head, the, uh, the main event is going to transpire to be. But I think Covington is going to smack the crap out of Jorge Masvidal. Uh, he's also a very big favorite, so I'm not going out of the limb there. But I tend to think Masvidal has been kind of overvalued since the knockout of Askren. What are your initial thoughts on the matchup before weigh-ins and obviously all the stuff that we're going to see transpire next week? As dynamic a businessman as George Masvidal is, uh, you know, slingshotting his way into these big fights, he is a 155-pound fighter fighting guys that are 170, and he's going to fight a guy at 170 in Covington that's legit top two in the division. Covington's going to wipe the floor with him. Yep. All right, Lou. Hey, are you, uh, you got a lot going on in this Honda Classic, huh? What are you sweating out? I, I play top 20s. What I do is I listen to Brady yeah. and, uh, and humans and Wes, and I take two or three guys and play them in top 20s. Hey, a Kupka plus money at top in a top 20. He was last week. He is this week. That's a safe way for a guy like me that doesn't know the sport to play. Yeah, uh, well, according to the list I got in front of me, you got Daniel Berger, who's currently 10 under and the leader by three strokes. So uh, good for you. Well, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds an acorn, JBG. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, you got anything in hockey? Uh, do you want to leave us with? You got anything going on? I think the Rangers are a team you could look at in futures and go deep. I think uh, Carolina is a chalky one. Those are both in the east and in the west. I'm all about Calgary. All right, Lou. Hey, man, it's good to talk to you. Uh, have a good weekend and good luck on the fight card, all right? Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you got it. The game, Blue. Uh, Write-ups are fantastic each and every week in Point Spread Weekly, the Insight, the Octagon. So make sure you check those out. Uh, fight card this weekend is going to be fun, but UFC 272 next week is going to be absolutely dynamic. And also, by the way, uh, to give Lou kudos too, uh, you might want to read these publications, not only because of the Insight for the card that week, uh, but in this week's edition of Point Spread Weekly, also gave out a future release on UFC 274. So make sure you go ahead and check that out.
get in a little bit of early value in that Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje lightweight matchup that we are going to see on that card. All right, we'll come back. We wrap it up here on the edge. Uh, we got to clean up the um, NBA card for today, including a uh, really interesting matchup for Charlotte and Toronto. The Hornets, probably one of the coldest teams in the association, are catching points at home against Toronto. Let's uh, dive into some of the numbers for the Charlotte Hornets and see if they can kind of dig themselves out of this slump that they've been on for the last 10 or 11 games or so. That's coming back here on The Edge. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome back. This segment of The Edge is brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches. A fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray, no more spit cups, no batteries to charge, or leaky equipment to deal with. Zinn nicotine pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zinn America's number one nicotine pouch is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zinn. So head on over to zinn.com slash find. Locate a store near you. That is zyn.com slash find warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical so we have best 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 bets to get to uh recap from last night in the association let's start there and then we'll get to the plays for later uh two bets yesterday pistons plus seven was surprised at the mark you know not surprised because i took seven uh got down to six and was six pretty much throughout the entire day and then right before tip closes at five Pistons win that game outright over the Cleveland Cavaliers and touch and go for the Timberwolves down the stretch, but a gritty outright win as a plus two and a half point underdog. So two underdogs cash, not only, but they also are the only two of the uh, underdogs of the night to cover and get there to win outright. So Pistons, Timberwolves, two wins from yesterday. Let's go to the two games for today and let's spend a little bit of time with the Charlotte Hornets because I think the Charlotte Hornets are a fascinating team as we head into the last 22 games or so of the regular season. And the reason why uh, they are fascinating, for those of you who didn't read the uh, column, again, vcin.com slash JVT, you can check these out every single day uh, now that the uh, uh, games are back uh, underway. How about this? So over the last 10 games before the All-Star break, the Charlotte Hornets went 1-9 and nine straight up. If you extend it out to the 15 contest before the All-Star break, they're 4-9-1 against the spread. But over the course of that 10-game stretch in which they went 1-9 and nine straight up, 
The Charlotte Hornets averaged just 104.5 points per 100 possessions, negative 6.1 net rating. That offensive rating, by the way, the second worst in the association over those 10 games. So you would think this team's dead. Offense is really just not clicking in any way whatsoever. There's nothing to really look at from a positive standpoint for the Charlotte Hornets. But if you look a little bit deeper, there are some interesting metrics that I think at least paint a picture of a bounce back potentially here for the Charlotte Hornets offensively. Despite having the second worst offensive rating in the league over those 10 games, how about this? They are first, first in cleaning the glasses, location effective field goal percentage metrics. So in other words, if Charlotte had shot league average from each location on the floor during this 10 game stretch, they would actually have led the league in terms of effective field goal percentage. That's pretty stark contrast from second worst offensive rating in the NBA, right? If you go out a little bit farther, and if you look at their wide-open three-point attempts, right? On the season, the Charlotte Hornets shooting 38% on wide-open three-point attempts. In other words, a defender six feet or farther away from the basket. And yet, during this 10-game slump that they have been on, they are shooting 31% on wide-open looks, something that probably shouldn't happen when you don't have a defender defender within six feet of you, right? Wide-open attempts should go down at a relatively high rate. So... You would think that there is some positive regression coming in terms of hitting open shots. And even go back to the last time that the Raptors and Hornets played. It was right before the All-Star break. Raptors dispatched in relatively ease. They won covered, uh, limited the Hornets to about a one-on-one offensive rating. But even in that game, according to the NBA's tracking data, the Hornets generated 23 wide-open looks against the Toronto Raptors. They shot 6-23 on those three-point attempts. So, So very simply put, even during this offensive slump, the Hornets are generating the wide-open looks that they need to. They are getting really good looks. They're just not going down. So I'm just going to play a little bit here on the break has helped them reset things. The fact that they are due for this positive regression from an offensive standpoint, there's many indicators that that is the case here for the Charlotte Hornets. And a little bit in terms of this power rating, right? They met in Toronto in January. Uh, the Raptors closed minus 2.5. Right. And that's when we're talking about two and a half at home for Toronto, that is telling us that these are essentially near equal teams. So I just think that these two teams from a power rating perspective are much closer. There's a lot of indicators that the Hornets are probably going to come around here from an offensive standpoint. So we'll take a stab with the Charlotte Hornets at plus two and a half. And I have taken a couple of stabs at the Charlotte Hornets before the all-star break. And uh, they have gotten second half have been a little dicey with that offense. So we'll see if they can actually turn things around. So that's the first one. And then the Clippers, but plus actually used one and a half for the best bets. It's up to three. Now the Los Angeles Lakers are laying three at home. So we're getting into the territory where the Lakers are playing at home. Any building in what is now crypto.com arena or whatever it's called, um, the Lakers against the Clippers are always going to have a home court. Clippers not so much, but the Lakers will because it is Lakers town, yada, yada, whatever. But this number is also telling you, for the most part, that the Lakers are better than the Los Angeles Clippers, and that's not something I buy at this point right now. Avery Bradley is not going to play. Well, Avery Bradley at times on defense leaves a lot to be desired. He's also a member of one of their most effective lineups with LeBron James at center and Russell Westbrook at point guard. Anthony Davis, as we know, is not going to play. Yes, Carmelo Anthony's going to be out there. And the Clippers going into the All-Star break defensively did an extremely good job against their opponents. Uh, one of their better rim defenses in the, in the uh, National Basketball Association, just 62.2% within four feet of the back basket allowed to opposing shooters. Lakers want to get within four feet of the basket as a team. I think the Clippers just match up well here. So obviously, if I was willing to take one and a half or, or two, take three with the Los Angeles Lakers, barring any injury information that would pop up to you um, after you hear this. So Clippers plus one and a half. Charlotte Hornets plus two and a half going into Friday night. With that, a couple of the games we have to clean up here. 
before we move on, because we have a pretty big matchup. Dallas Mavericks on the road against the Utah Jazz. This number opened six with a total of 216.5. Uh, Rudy Gobert, as we know, returning to the starting lineup the final two games before the All-Star break. Mavericks getting a little bit of action here. It's down to 5.5 at the South Point. But the Jazz, even before Rudy Gobert came back, started to kind of find their stride. 6-1 straight up, 5-1-1 against the spread in the seven games prior to the All-Star break. The defense had gotten a lot better over those seven games without Rudy Gobert. So they're going to need Gobert full strength tonight. And the Dallas Mavericks, although they have struggled offensively, still, of course, have a player like Luka Doncic that is going to make things better for them. And their offense kind of broke out of a slump right before the All-Star break. Uh, Their last seven games themselves, the Mavericks, before going into the break, 117.5 offensive rating. They themselves went 6-1 straight up and uh, against the spread in those contests. So while this is a team that has been offensively somewhat average all year long, the fact that they have found some offensive continuity going into the all-star break could be a sign of good things to come. And especially against a jazz team that just got their best defender back right before hiatus assumed. So, and on the other side too, you get a Mavericks team that's been brilliant defensively all year long has forced turnovers at a relatively solid clip as well. Perimeter defense, one of the best in the NBA, the Dallas Mavericks. And that's pretty good against the Utah jazz who shoot a lot of threes and rely on it. So ultimately, this one, no involvement whatsoever, but completely agree with the market if you're going to jump on six because Dallas, just the way they play defensively, have brought teams down to their level and made these some really tight contests. So I think they catch in six here with the Dallas Mavericks. It would be the side uh, that I'd rather be on. Uh, let's go New Orleans and Phoenix really quickly here because the Suns are on the second leg of a back-to-back. Uh, strike one against my theory during the All-Star break that the Suns would kind of be a under team, not so much a bit against team, but an under team, given the fact that Chris Paul's not out there. Well, Devin Booker ran point guard yesterday, and the offense really took off in the second half, and even the struggles in the first half were the symptom of poor shooting as opposed to anything the Oklahoma City Thunder were doing. Suns here six and a half, totals up to 229 and a half. So this is the second game in a row in which the market is moving to the over on a Suns game. So maybe completely misread that. Aaron Renning was with us yesterday. He was on that over in that Suns game as well. Uh, so initially, it looks like these total betters think these Suns games are going to go uh, to the higher scoring side. Worth pointing out that the Suns, from a uh, possession standpoint yesterday, 105 possessions in non-garbage time against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and 17.1% of their possessions started with a transition play. Uh, both of those marks higher than their regular season averages. So one game without Chris Paul, but they're playing a little bit quicker. And so that's something to note as you move forward. And Devin Booker... Um, as a point guard. It was actually pretty interesting to watch there. And last but not least, San Antonio Spurs on the road against the Washington Wizards. N- nothing really hard-hitting analytically here. I just think the San Antonio Spurs, when you look at what they've done defensively over the last two months, have been wildly inconsistent. And one of the things that has um, been somewhat troubling for San Antonio, third highest rate of uh, – her third highest frequency, we'll put it that way – of shots within four feet of the basket allowed to opponents. The Washington Wizards are not a good shooting team. They want to get within four feet. They want to attack you off of the bounce. And even though from a shooting percentage standpoint, the Spurs are in the top half of the league defensively, when you're given a good rim team, a lot of bites at the apple, generally not recipe for success. But markets in on San Antonio up to three and a half with a total of 225 and a half. And Washington is, of course, a little shorthanded. We know that Bradley Beal, of course, not playing. And that Thomas Bryant questionable with that college basketball really quickly Saturday is going to be absolutely fantastic we have a lot of games that are definitely worth noting at this point right now but let's start with the big one in the big 12 Baylor is going to be at home against Kansas projected uh, Ken Palm number right now would be Baylor by about four with a total in the range of I think about 152 if I can add correctly Um, but really for me 
And I think for a lot of people, as we have watched Baylor over the last couple of games, uh, Oklahoma State, right, goes to overtime. You scuffle there. You don't cover 11-and-a-half against TCU. You lose the game to Texas Tech. You know, the injury starting to mount up here uh, for the Baylor Bears, and will they uh, limit them here in this game? We know that um, uh, JTT, Jonathan Chamwachachwa, is not available. He's out for the season. LJ Cryer has been in and out of the lineup recently as well, and they, I think they really miss him too. So uh, let's just see uh, what Baylor has here. But the injuries seem to have taken an effect in the last three games, which they have failed to cover, and it's a big matchup against Kansas over the weekend. And then there's others, Purdue against Michigan State. Can the Spartans break out of the slump that they're currently in? And then Wisconsin taking on Rutgers. Uh, the reason why that is interesting, well, because Rutgers, as we know, when they have played at home, have been absolutely unstoppable in projecting to be another home underdog, a situation in which they are undefeated this year. So we'll see if that trend continues. We're all done. Hey, announcement really quickly. Remember, Hardwood Handicappers live show is on Sunday nights now, 6 p.m. Pacific time. We'll see you then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare